minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Tuesday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Oh 
Words that you have to say uh, became the theme of the last 18 days. Words that were repeated millions of times, and that's no exaggeration, throughout the entire world. As um, practically every prayer session, every Tehillim rally, every get-together that uh, brought to mind the three boys in Israel at some point, during those get-togethers, the words Achenu were said together, and uh, there was a collective hope that those words and all the prayers and all the Tehillim and all the unity, all the camaraderie, all the caring, would all add up to a positive result, or at least a result that we were looking for. The collective Jewish heart, as I said many times over the last few days, suffered a jolt 18 days ago. And that collective Jewish heart responded with prayer, with unity, with brotherhood. And yesterday, that collective Jewish heart, which we all proudly feel part of, began to grieve and mourn for the loss of our three boys. Later today, they're going to be buried together, a uh, a gesture that the families of the three boys felt was important, and we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. And although there's, it's very difficult to find any silver lining in this whole situation, and everyone, I believe, still is in a state of shock after hearing the news yesterday afternoon, it is um, remarkable and continues to seem remarkable to me that 
rabbinic and Jewish leaders in general will not allow anybody to let go of this story. Often we see in the aftermath of these episodes when innocent Jewish youths are murdered in cold blood, we'll see that not every group of people joins in the grief in the morning to the extent that others might. And in this case, just like the unity that was displayed over the last two and a half weeks, in this case, the grief, the mourning, the level of sadness and anger seems to be consistent across the board. I have to mention that there are uh, so many people around the world who demonstrated an amazing ability to keep this story of Gilad Eyal and Naftali at the forefront of their Jewish communities around the world. Not an easy thing to do these days when people are used to moving on to the next item, the next story, the next tragedy very often. And in this case, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, and I think it is millions, prayed and demonstrated and petitioned and hoped for a positive result to this episode. Those prayers, those demonstrations, those petitions that went to the one above obviously did not get the result that we were hoping for. But um, as many have pointed out, let us not minimize how those prayers and demonstrations and petitions, both down here and to the one above, did not go unnoticed and are certainly not in vain. Ayal Yifrach, 19 years old, Naftali Frankel, 16 years old, and Gilad Shar, 16 years old, whose bodies were found on Monday, realized very quickly that they had been abducted on the night of June 12th. The three were waiting at Givaot intersection west of Alon Shvut in the Etzion block south of Yerushalayim just after 10.15 p.m., looking to catch a ride to Route 367 toward Beit Shemesh and from there to locations in central Israel where each of them lived. The prevailing assessment within the defense establishment is that the kidnappers, at least at first, only saw one of the hitchhikers. Only once the kidnappers' car came to a stop did they realize that they would be outnumbered by their hostages within the small confines of the car. This may be what changed the nature of the crime from kidnapping to murder, according to security sources. Inside the car, Israel alleges, were Hamas terrorists Amer Abu Aisha and Marwan Kawasmi. 
recognizing too late that the car was not an innocent Israeli vehicle, one of the teens called the police at 10.25 p.m. and whispered, we've been kidnapped. The call was transferred immediately to a senior officer who continued to ask questions but received no reply. The call lasted for two minutes and nine seconds and then was cut off. The officer called the number eight more times but received three busy signals and reached voicemail five times. The kidnappers, apparently realizing that a call had been made, shot the three teens dead soon afterward in the back seat of the car. Prime Minister Netanyahu said Monday night that they were murdered in cold blood. Early assessments by some regarding the professionalism of the terrorists appear to have been misplaced. The killers seem to have panicked. The three teens did not fulfill the role Hamas sought for them, security officials indicated, to serve as bargaining chips that would free thousands of Palestinian prisoners and promote the Hamas brand throughout the West Bank. The killers then drove a further 10 minutes or so before switching vehicles. They abandoned their vehicle and set it on fire. They transferred the bodies to the second vehicle and drove close to the field in the Khalkhul area where the three corpses were ultimately discovered, bound, partially buried, and in what eyewitnesses said was in not good condition on Monday afternoon. The land where the bodies were found belongs to the Kawasmi family, according to Channel 2 News. Unbeknownst to the killers, the emergency call had not prompted an alert by Israel's security forces. The senior officer did not pass on the information to her superiors or listen to the recording for further evidence, concluding it was a prank call. Security forces realized there had been a kidnapping and began what became an 18-day search operation only some seven hours later. Assuming that they were being hunted down right away, the kidnappers quickly abandoned the three bodies and made their escape. Israeli security forces pinpointed them as prime suspects on June the 13th, began a series of searches of the family homes and the questioning and arrests of relatives and other, and other suspects. But the two alleged kidnappers were still at large as of Monday night. Others allegedly involved were also still being hunted. On Tuesday morning, Israelis built two small fledgling Outposts in response to the murder of three teenage boys who were abducted by Hamas and whose bodies were found outside of Hebron 18 days later. Some 30 to 40 settlers, as the author of this article puts it, have pitched blue tents on a hilltop in the unbuilt E1 area of the town of Malay Adumim. A plan to build thousands of homes there was given approval by former Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, but every subsequent government since has frozen the project due to international pressure. Prime Minister Netanyahu initially said he would advance E1 construction, but then halted the plans again. On Tuesday morning, however, settlers decided not to wait for the government, and they headed up to the area of E1 below the police station. Eli Dordek of Malay Adumim said, This is our response to the terrible murder of our young teens. The Arabs think they can scare us or make us leave, said Dordek, adding that they were mistaken. This is our way of expressing our connection to the land of Israel. This place has already been agreed upon by the government. There are plans that are already agreed on. We would like to settle and build here. Now is a good time to do that. 
The murder of the three teens has stirred a lot of emotions, he said. We hope to capture that energy and put it to positive use. People in the Gush Etzion region, led by uh, women in green, also began setting up a new outpost on state land on a hill called Givat Oz, not far from the Gush Etzion junction. Nadia Matar of Women in Green said activists had taken over an abandoned farmhouse. We are now refurbishing, cleaning, and renovating it, she said. She added that a generator is providing them with electricity. They already have families who want to move in, she said. This is a symbolic act. It symbolizes what the government should do which is apply Israeli sovereignty to Judea and Samaria, she said. That application of sovereignty should begin with Gush Etzion, Matar added. She said that the outpost, outpost itself will be called Givat Oz the Gaon, to include the first letters of the first names of the three teens, Naftali Frankel, Gilad Shar, and Ayal Yifrach. Separately, others also set up a protest tent close to the Chalchul Junction, where the bodies of the three teens were found. They're calling on the government to take responsibility for providing security for the residents of Judea and Samaria. Gush Etzion Regional Council head David Pearl also called on the government to annex his region to Israel in response to the murders, and barring that to authorize building, particularly a new project, in an area called Gva'ot. He focused on Gva'ot in specific because he, like his predecessor before him, wants to turn the forested area of the Alonshvut settlement into a new West Bank city of 5,000 homes. Netanyahu's government initially advanced plans for 600 new homes in Gavaot, which now houses a school, but then froze the project, Pearl said. He added the answers to terrorism has to be to strengthen the settlement enterprise. IDF forces set off explosives while raiding the homes of Marwan Kawasmi and Amar Abu Aisha, who are suspected of having carried out the kidnapping of the three Israeli teens, according to security forces. A third house was reportedly infiltrated by IDF forces as well. The Israeli Air Force pounded the Gaza Strip early on Tuesday morning with 34 targets hit by jets in response to a barrage of rockets that pounded Israel south on Monday. The rocket fire continued following the IDF strikes. Early Tuesday, five rockets fired from Gaza landed in southern Israel. Later, at around 8 a.m., the Army confirmed that an additional four rockets landed north of the town of Stayroad. One of the rockets caused a fire in the field, in which firefighters extinguished and another damaged the road. The IAF airstrikes targeted Hamas and Islamic Jihad assets in the Gaza Strip, including a Hamas complex in Rafah that hosted a command center and a weapons storage facility. If Hamas's aim is to escalate, we will act accordingly, a senior security source said, warning that an increase in Gaza rocket fire will be met by an increased Israeli campaign of airstrikes. Security quiet would be met with a similar response from Israel, the source added. Hamas warned Israel on Monday against waging war on the Gaza Strip, saying this would open the gates of hell on Israel. Hamas spokesman Sami Abu Zuri said that the Israelis that Israel bears responsibility for the latest escalation in the Gaza Strip. The events come after the military operation launched to locate teenagers. Gilad, Naftali, and Ayal reached a tragic end Monday afternoon when security forces discovered their bodies in a field northwest of Hebron, no more than a 10-15 minute drive from where they were abducted. The Shin Bet 
the Israeli security agency has spent the past 18 days piecing together a moment-by-moment account, account of what occurred to the three Israeli teens kidnapped and murdered by two Hamas men in Hebron. Security evaluations are that the teenagers were murdered a short time after being kidnapped as they, as they sat in the back seat of the vehicle they had entered thinking they were hitching a ride. Although other evaluations continue to be weighed, according to this view, a phone call by one of the boys to the police to try and report the kidnapping triggered an immediate and tragic end to their lives. The kidnappers had headed toward Chalchul and buried the boys in a field three kilometers from the town. In a hurry to get rid of the bodies, the kidnappers quickly buried them before going into hiding, most likely in the region. Security sources say this is one of a number of evaluations due to the fact that kidnappers have not yet been captured this evaluation cannot be confirmed at this time. The Shin Bet launched a painstaking and complex process to compile an intelligence puzzle that eventually led to the location of the bodies. Information was gathered from a variety of sources, including Shin Bet regional coordinators, signal intelligence, desk analysts, and information obtained through the questioning of arrested security suspects. This led to a gradual elimination of areas where the domestic intelligence agency believed it would find the bodies until estimations honed in on the area near Chalchul. Meanwhile, a Palestinian who hurled a grenade at soldiers during a raid in Janine was killed by the army overnight. The IDF arrested three Palestinian suspects in Janine and Hebron in overnight raids. In the coming days, the IDF will gradually decrease the number of units in the West Bank as the army shifts its focus on the hunt for the two Hamas kidnappers. The IDF has the homes of the kidnappers surrounded, is searching them intensively to ensure that no clues have been missed during earlier searches. The army is waiting for a cabinet decision on whether to destroy the homes of the kidnappers, which I believe it was decided to do. Family members are being questioned by security forces. Ayal Gilad and Naftali will be laid to rest uh, this afternoon at 5.30 p.m. That is happening in Modian. They will be uh, buried side by side in the Modian Cemetery. Separate processions will leave the homes of the three in the towns of Talmon, Elad, and Nof Ayalon. That begins at 3.30 p.m. Prime Minister Netanyahu is expected to attend the funeral. Israel mourns the Jewish world is in agony. Everybody is in a state of collective mourning. The um, the habit that uh, a great number of media members have to equate the murdered, kidnapped children with those who are being sought after and at times uh, killed by Israeli forces, is simply outrageous. Many good people out there continue to remind so many through social media and other venues that without the aggression and kidnapping and terror attacks, there would be no need for any type of response, investigation, any type of action. It's important to continue to get that message out.
especially when we see the way that the media in general reports what happened and makes their own evaluations and often issues their own condemnations of Israel's actions. Thank God there's a state of Israel that can respond when Jews are in danger or when Jews are murdered or when Jews are victims of terror. Thank God there's a state of Israel. And today, the state of Israel and the Jewish world collectively mourns and grieves for these three kids, these three teens, these three boys who were murdered in cold blood. And our heart continues to ache. J.M. and the A.M. on this uh, Tuesday morning. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web at jmtheam.org. Our news from Israel is coming up. Many people are, I'm sure, wondering about the efforts that have been made over the last 18 days to pray together, to demonstrate together, to take action together, and are wondering if all that was for naught, and we have to remind ourselves that, in fact, none of it was for naught. The way millions around the world stood with the families during this most difficult time and continue to do so now, during this difficult time, cannot be taken lightly. The role that prayer and petition and demonstration took over the last few days and continued with great momentum even as time began to move away from the time of, from the actual episode itself is something so significant. And as I said earlier, to see people of all types and all backgrounds continue to state how this episode will not leave them and how these three boys will not be forgotten is in a way very heartwarming. This triple murder has changed many lives and um, and that change I believe is going to be in the long run for the collective Jewish world a very positive one one in which unity will never be overestimated again will never be minimized It will continue to inspire us, please God, to unify together, to fight other battles, to offer support for our brethren, and to continue together for a bright Jewish future. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Tuesday is next at JM&AM. ניצב שעה שתיים, כנראה נבנאי עם מה שקורה עכשיו. 
פרטים חדשים על אל חטיפת הנערים. מחקירת האירוע במערכת הביטחון עולה כי השלושה נרצחו זמן קצר לאחר החטיפה בעודם במכונית ששימשה את החוטפים ובזמן שיחת הטלפון למוקד מאה. בנוסף עולה כי ברכב השרוף נמצאו כתמי דם, קליעים וציוד אישי של מחבלים. בעוד כשעה יחלו טקסי ההספד בתלמון, בנוף איילון ובאלעד, ובחמש ושלושים יובאו גלעד, נפתלי ואייל למנוחות בבית העלמין במודיעין. דודו של נפתלי, ישי פרינקל, סיפר על ההחלטה לקבור אותם זה לצד זה. כמו דברי התנ״ך בחייהם ובמותם לא נפרדו, איכשהו כולנו, כל המשפחות הרגישו שזה הדבר שנכון יותר. וזה באמת בעיניי, אני חושב, הצוואה של, של שלושת הילדים פה, זה לשמר איזושהי רוח שהייתה פה בשבועיים האחרונים. לקראת ההלוויה, המשטרה מפרסמת הסדרי תנועה מיוחדים, כתבנו יותם ברגר. הכניסה לבית העלמין במודיעין תהיה חסומה לכלי רכב פרטיים. לא תותר הכניסה מכביש 443 לרחוב הרכס או לרחוב יהודי המכבי. למשתתפים יוצבו אוטובוסים שימתינו להם במגרשי החניה הבאים. קברות המכבים על כביש 443, צומת מכבים רעות, קניון עזריאלי מודיעין ומגרש החניה ברחוב עמק דותן. ההסעות יצאו לבית העלמין בשעה ארבע וחצי. ניתן להתעדכן בפרטים נוספים במוקד העירוני. וגלי צה"ל משדר את טקסי ההלוויה וההספדים במשדר מיוחד עם ירון וילנסקי, החל משלוש. יושב ראש ועדת החוץ והביטחון, חבר הכנסת זאב אלקין, קורא להכיל עונש מוות על רוצחים כבדים. הוא דיבר בתוכניתנו עושים צהריים עם יעל דן. הדבר הכי פשוט, הצדק הכי בסיסי, יש במדינת ישראל יכולת להפעיל עונש מוות במקרים חריגים. אנחנו לא עושים את זה, זה טעות. אם אותם אנשים ייכנסו לכלא הישראלי, יקבלו מאבו מאזן שמגנה אותם היום. מחר הוא ישלם להם משכורת, אגב, משכורת מוגדלת, כי הם רצחו שלושה ישראלים, ואחר כך עוד מישהו יעשה פיגוע חטיפה כדי לשחרר אותם. ובתוך כך נציבות זכויות האדם באו"ם קוראת לישראל ולפלסטינים לשמור על איפוק נוכח מציאת גופותיהם של שלושת הנערים. דוברת הנציבות אמרה בהודעה שפרסמה יש להימנע מענישה קולקטיבית כלפי אזרחים. סטודנט לרפואה בטכניון זומן לוועדת משמעת לאחר שהביע שמחה בעקבות מותם של שלושת החטופים. כתבנו קובי מנדל. בהתבטאות המיוחסת לסטודנט שנה ג' בבית הספר לרפואה בטכניון נכתב בדף הפייסבוק שלו בערבית שלנבחרת פלסטין הישג אדיר כשהבקיע שלושה שערים, וזאת מבלי שהיא במונדיאל. האמירה הזו מעוררת סערה בטכניון, ונשיא המוסד, פרופסור פרץ לביא, גינה אותו בחריפות ומסר שהנושא ייבדק. גם אגודת הסטודנטים בטכניון גינתה את המעשה. עוד בחדשות רפי גינת מסיים את תפקידו כמנכ"ל ערוץ 10, כתבנו עומר קדרון. רק כשנה וחצי לאחר שמונה למנכ"ל ערוץ 10, יסתיים גינת את תפקידו על רקע חילוקי דעות כספיים עם דירקטוריוני ערוץ. על פי הודעת ערוץ 10, תוכניתו של גינת קולבוטק תמשיך להיות משודרת בינתיים. גינת מסר בתגובה, אני אוהב את הערוץ ואנשיו, ואעשה ככל שביכולתי כדי לסייע לערוץ במאמצי ההצלחה. התחזית ירידה קלה בטמפרטורות. אלה החדשות שעורך חדר שיפר.
J.M. in the A.M., Danny Danone is in Israel. He's on his way to Talmon, and he is the Deputy Defense Minister of the State of Israel. Danny, shalom. Welcome back to the show. Is there anything of comfort that you could say to us today? It is a very hard day for us uh, here in Israel and among the Jewish communities. The only thing that, you know, you see the Jewish people coming together, united. I'm sure the Hamas wanted to bring us apart. But they got exactly the opposite. When you see the people standing uh, together, left, right, secular, orthodox, we're all one people, and now I'm on my way to the funeral. You see thousands of people coming to pay respect to the boys, and I think that uh, we will be stronger after this very, very sad event. Danny, you have first-hand uh, account of visiting with the families during this entire episode. I'm sure we can only imagine what they're going through today. What can you tell us about their unbelievable perseverance over the last couple of weeks? It's a noble uh, family with a lot of uh, courage. Uh, we all admire them. And even today, after they, they got the bad news, they continued to lead us uh, with the spirit and, and believe in the Shem. I think they are very courageous. And uh, I have visited them. I can tell you that even though I had the information uh, in advance and I knew that uh, it doesn't look so good, but still we hoped, we prayed, we maybe there was a miracle, and unfortunately we got uh, the bad news, but uh, we are strong. We are strong. We will prevail, and I think our enemies will see that uh, we know how to be sad, but we also how to be, we know how to be determined and how to make sure uh, our strength will be shown in the near future. And, and, and I know, Danny, that today's not the day for this. I know that. But still, uh, when you see Jewish youth react in the way they are in terms of a desire to continue building Israel, and you see that the Israeli Air Force and obviously the Prime Minister and his cabinet are taking the situation in Gaza 
uh, against these people who want to kill us more seriously. It, 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 it has got to lift your spirits a drop. Absolutely. I, I, I look at it and I, I, I admire the people of Israel who are telling us strong. You know, I see people calling me and telling me, do whatever you need to do. Even if it means that we have to be in shelters, even if it means that there will be missiles flying to Ashkelon and Ashdod, we are willing to suffer, but do whatever you need to do in order to fight against those terrorist organizations, in order to fight against those people, evil people, who are killing innocent children on the way to Shabbat. And finally, uh, Danny Danone, uh, you're on your way to the funeral. The symbolism of the three boys being buried side by side with the processions coming from three different communities, uh, that type of unity cannot be overstated. Absolutely. Those three boys were going to do Shabbat uh, on the way home together with, uh, in Gush Etzion. And now they, are, they will be together in Modi'in, in the same cemetery. It is, it is very meaningful. I think the decision of the families was a brave decision. We're going to have a, a ceremony at each community in, a, in a 40 minutes. And after that, we will all be together in a one big ceremony where the three boys will be buried together in Modi'in. Danny, we always appreciate your words. Next time, hopefully, there'll be words of simcha and joy. Amen. Amen. And I want to thank you and to the uh, millions of people who are praying and standing with us. Uh, and I know that with the determination, we will prevail. Amen. Tadaraba. Danny Danone on his way to Talmon. And then, of course, to this funeral where the three boys will be buried side by side in Modian. The unity of this entire episode cannot be overstated. And what a an unbelievable exclamation what an amazing um, declaration I should say by the three families that the three should be buried together just as they continued throughout this entire episode to encourage the Jewish people to stand together and to remain together at every possible moment Tuesday morning a very difficult day for the Jewish world this is JM in the AM
דבק מול ענן שחור כבד, כל שנבקש לו יהי. ואם בחלונות הערב אור נרות החג רועד, כל שנבקש לו יהי.
Remembering Gilad, Eyal, and Naftali, who a couple hours from now are going to be buried together side by side in Modi in Israel. J.M. and the A.M. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechon Nishmasa Rav Zev and Yosef Halevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizok. Good morning. Om Rabbi Evo. There was an incident that happened with a certain woman that lived in the neighborhood of Rabbi Gamliel. She had a son, a son who was precious to her, and that son had passed on. She cried over him the entire night. Rabbi Gamliel heard her voice and he remembered the Chorben Beis HaMikdosh, and he cried together with her until his eyelashes fell out. What was it about this woman's crying that caused Rabbi Gamliel to recall the Chorben Beis HaMikdosh? The great Rosh Hashiva of Mordechai Gifter explains that the Shoresh Kolat Tzoros, the root of all the Tzoros that we have in the world, is the fact that we haven't reached the purpose of the world. When Raman Gamliel heard this woman cry, he understood that the root of her tzara, as well as the root of all of our tzaras, is the Chorban in the Golos. Therefore he cried over the Chorban Beis HaMikdosh, the fact that the world has not yet achieved this Shlemus. The Ramchal says in Derech Hashem, who klal hayisurim, Hashem gave suffering the power, lohasir me'osaha adam, hakirasahu, to dispel the sensitivity in man, v'yishorazach, allowing him to become pure and clear and prepared for the ultimate good at its appointed time. Ve'emnom kefi ashir, according to the amount of suffering needed to purify the individual. That would depend on the amount of insensitivity that he has acquired as a result of his deeds. This morning, as we mourn and grieve together with Achenu B'nai Yisrael throughout the world, we grieve over three young, promising, innocent lives that were snuffed out by terrorists, the Koyach of Ra, the power of evil that exists in the world. Gilad Shar, Naftali Frankel, and Ayal Yefrach, Hashem Yimkam Damam. Their leaving this world creates a vacuum that simply cannot be filled. What an outstanding Kiddush Hashem was made by the families of these young Kedoshim. Families that were steadfast in their Amunon Bitochon, Families that spoke out around the world and were mkadei shem shamayim with emuna tahira, with pure faith. The great Rabbi Yaakov Elimelech Panet once said, There was an incident in which a young child went with his father to the forest. The father wanted to sit to rest a while under a tree. And the young son wanted to go and play. He wanted to pick berries in the field. So his father said to him, Don't go too far away, and every five minutes, call me. If you don't hear that I answer back, it's a simon that you went too far. The child did this. All of a sudden, the child broke out in a loud cry, 
What had happened? He called to his father, and his father did not answer him. He was afraid that he would stay in the big forest for the rest of his life. So too, says the great Deja Rebbe, all the time that we were in Sar, we call out to Hashem Yisbarach, and He helps us. It's a simon that we are close to Him. However, lately, when the Tzoros have grown in Klal Yisrael, and we call to Hashem, and we don't receive the answer, it is a simon that we have gone too far. We need to reach out and come closer to Avinu Shabbat This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you Morning Chizik. May we hear Besuros Tavos Yeshua's V'nechamos. Amen. And I thank Rabbi Goldwasser for the last uh, couple of weeks. He has had, he always has appropriate words for every situation, but uh, the way he has spoken about the, the episode as it was unfolding and as we continue to pray and gather for Tehillim, four to three boys and the strength that he gave us as that process continued and now the comfort that we need in the aftermath of the triple murder of our brethren. Uh, he always knows what to say, and I thank him for that. As I said earlier in the program, the collective Jewish heart, as I have been mentioning for the last 18 days, suffered a tremendous jolt 18 days ago, and now the collective Jewish heart has begun to grieve for the loss of our Three boys in Israel, they'll be laid to rest side by side a couple of hours from now in Modi in Israel. We've dis- we discussed the symbolism of that and the incredible unity in general the Jewish people around the world have had um, seep into our lives because of the three boys and their incredible families. We've discussed the reaction in Israel from uh, building of, uh, or, or I should say, um, founding of new towns, if you will. The response of the Israel Air Force, the collective grief that those even closer to the situation than we are, those who are citizens of Israel and living there, feel and will feel certainly all day long and for the next few days in the aftermath of this horrific episode. And um, as we grieve together, we've invited a special guest with us uh, live via telephone, somebody who deals with grief, and especially as it applies to... Uh, to children in our community on a regular basis. Rabbi David Fox is with us. He's Director of Interventions and Community Education for Project Chai at Chai Lifeline International. Rabbi Fox, thank you for joining us this morning. At J- Sorry about that. Thank you for joining us this morning at JM in the AM. Just a moment. I apologize. There we go. Rabbi Fox, thank you for joining us this morning at JM in the AM. Thank you, too. It's a very sad uh, moment for all of us, but I'm certainly honored be asked to speak to your on your program. I appreciate that. So 18 days ago, we gathered with our children and uh, spoke with them and encouraged them to participate in Tfilot, in Tehillim, in rallies, uh, hanging up photos of the boys, leaving chairs empty in shul for the boys, and, and really, to a great extent, with, with obvious caution, um, communicating the message that we can make a difference, that we actually can play a role in these boys, um, you know, being returned safely to their home. And then yesterday, of course, we had to share the news with our children 
of the triple murder and uh, the way this ended for the boys in Israel. And now the question is to you, Rabbi Fox, what do we say now? How do we communicate this balance that there was hope, that there was a tremendous amount of hope and promise in this situation that we actually could participate in, but sometimes things don't end up the way we want them to, and in this case, they ended up as tragically as possible. This is a a time of collective shock and confusion and grief for so many of us across the globe. And I think it's important that we all remember that each child, each adolescent, and even each adult is responding in their own way. I think that most of the young young people at the moment, particularly outside of Eretz Yisrael, are in a state of shock. Uh, there's confusion, there's numbness, there's a lot of quiet. Uh, as the days go by, I think the question that you're asking is going to surface more and more. What about all the tefillahs? What about all the tehillim? What about everything that we prayed for and that we hoped for? And I think this is one of the questions that will emerge. Um, I think at this, at this very moment, that question has not begun to pulsate because there's just a collective sense of shock and numbness. I guess this is something you encounter all the time, because I would, I would assume in many situations, not all, but in many situations with terminally ill patients, with family members who may either suddenly or not so suddenly pass away, uh, there are those left behind, so to speak, who, who, who know that they made an effort, that they went ahead and, uh, and davened and prayed and hoped as much as possible and really thought that what they did uh, and continued to do would make a difference. I, I guess in this case, it's simply on a larger communal scale. Yes, that's correct. And in Project Chai, where we're dealing with not only individual loss, but we're dealing with trauma at a more regional or sometimes like this, an international level, there are some unfortunately common reactions that people have. Uh, Many times older adolescents and adults won't be as stymied by the question about what about all the effort I put in. In fact, when a teenager and adult can look back and say, well, I know I took these steps. I know these are the interventions I tried, my Tehillim or making personal contributions, making personal sacrifices to help out. So that does give older uh, people and teenagers a sense that I did my best, I took an action. But it's the younger folks who have a difficult time with that perspective, and they're they're left feeling betrayed. I was told that my tehillim would matter. I was told my tefillos would make a difference. What have they led to? Where do they go to? All right, for the older people, it's more of we did what we could, and uh, they're able to rationally move on, in a sense, from that. Yeah, and and when, when younger Younger kids um, are troubled by that question. It's important to help them see the purity and the spirituality of that very question, that they're grappling with something that is causing strife to the soul itself. And uh, we, will, we will tell a child that is a personal accomplishment, that's a madriga, that your soul is wrestling with this. 
when it hits a youngster more psychologically, that they're feeling the anger, they're feeling the frustration, that this is where we will have to do some intervention and helping them reframe that no tefillah ever gets lost um, and we will help them foster over time perspective. All right, Dr. David Fox is Director of Interventions and Community Education for Project High of High Lifeline. Okay, so practically speaking, what signs should parents look for? Is there anything alarming that a youngster could react in a specific way they could react to this whole episode or a certain silence or other type of behavior they may take on that, in fact, should be a red flag for parents? Okay, it's a very important and sensitive question. Um, what I would offer is that in our work in Project High with grieving youngsters, we have to help the parents identify the difference between normal grief, a normal reaction, and then more a more aggravated traumatic response, which fortunately is much less common. And in the aftermath of a loss, particularly a very tragic internationally moving loss like this, uh, there are some normal responses in children. Children may withdraw and become initially quiet. Children may generate fears, even less, gen- less rational fears, fears of going outside, fears that's going to happen to them. Uh, children may initially have trouble sleeping. Children may lose their appetite. But generally, those are more common responses, and with support, with encouragement, with normalizing and moving the child to returning to his or her routine, um, this may just be a common process reaction to very troubling news. The, the, the danger signs, as you say, um, are much less common. Most children and even adults, fortunately, don't develop aggravated traumatic disorders or responses. Uh, we are resilient people, and with support, with love and encouragement, normalization and validation, most of us do okay uh, over the short time. But when a a parent sees that the child continues to fret, uh, withdraws and shows sort of an intractable depression, uh, doesn't stop crying, fixates or obsesses about some aspect of their personal loss um, or has immobilizing fear. So if this doesn't abate or diminish uh, over the course of about two weeks' time, then it may be helpful to call in a professional. This is going to stick with us for a while, no matter how old or young you are, right? Yes, uh, partially because of the heinous gravity of what's happened, also because of the media. Right. Uh, in different ways, the media will keep this uh, fresh and alive in our consciousness. And also, for time to come, whether it's in the shiurim or the shmuzim that our kids attend, or whether it's on the playground or in the street, there's going to be constant discussion about it. And, and, and that actually is the nature of crisis, that when something horrible happens, it does leave its imprint for a time with people. You know, I remember in the aftermath of 9-11, uh, there are people, and, and some of whom we knew personally or know personally, who literally walked out of the building and never gave it, gave it a second thought, you know, were, were able to exist on a level-headed basis the next day. And there are others, of course, who, you know, you, you could find who were in therapy for years after being in that building and just narrowly escaping with their lives. What do you think the hitchhiking youth of Israel 
are going through over the last couple of weeks, and specifically now that they know the results of that episode from that Thursday night. Uh, is, is it the same mix? Will there be kids who have, you know, who are who are fearless and won't give it a second thought, and others who are probably going to be very hesitant? Well, actually, because you mentioned 9/11, a lot of what we've learned in Project High uh, as our trauma department of High Life, and a lot of what we've learned about the aftermath of trauma has been from studies of people who dealt with 9-11. That really was an eye-opener and a turning of the corner scientifically in understanding what are the range of reactions to trauma. And what you said is very accurate. There were people who walked away, and this began giving us clues about what we refer to as resilience. There are people who have a resiliency in the aftermath of crisis, and they cope rapidly. They organize thoughts and feelings. They have a way of ventilating, talking about what they've gone through, and they do regroup. Um, what we have to watch out for, uh, of course, is the tendency to go into denial, which is not looking back, not talking about it, keeping the feelings in, and this, of course, becomes the reading ground for later reactions of depression, of anxiety. I think, Baruch uh, Hashem, the Israeli culture and the Israeli society has pushed our youth and our adults towards resiliency. There is very, very uh, horribly, there is a constant and ongoing concern about danger there. And from an early age, people are taught to be vigilant uh, to be on alert, uh, to have very strongly developed bitachem, um, and that helps them cope. And I think what will happen is people will hitchhike, people will be more cautious, but there will be a push to return to normal. I remember in the aftermath of so many bus bombings in Israel, and you know, financially, families in Israel were not able to send their kids with cabs, you know, at a, at a moment's notice, but had no choice but to use the bus system and. I, you know, I always wondered about that, about how parents, uh, you know, literally would, would put their kids on a bus and, and not know if they, you know, would make it home later that day because of the, uh, because of how often these uh, terror attacks were taking place at that time. And I wonder if being forced to confront the situation, if being forced to continue to hitchhike because of financial or practical reasons or being forced to continue to ride buses again because of financial or other reasons, I wonder if that's better or worse. Well, I think it's an excellent point. And in some ways, that needing to get on the bus and to take public transportation in Israel, it is a metaphor for what we encourage in our work in Project Chai in working with children and working with families and that is after normalizing the fear and recognizing a child's reaction uh, in the aftermath of crisis, we will gently urge the parents to help the child return to his or, routine, his or her routine. Right. And, and the metaphor of getting on the bus is an excellent example of helping a child recognize that going back into the classroom and returning to school and being able to take that walk and do the things that you were once able to do, that is both a sign of recovery and it's also a catalyst for the healing after trauma. Yeah. You know, I have a mixed reaction to the, um, 
and this is a bit complicated, so I shouldn't really say this on one foot as the expression goes, but the memorial services are now taking place in the aftermath. Obviously, uh, they're important for a variety of reasons. Um, I, I just think sometimes the Jewish community is very good at memorials and, uh, and, and sometimes not as good you know, in the, in the prior aspects of these episodes. But that, that notwithstanding, um, is it helpful? For people to gather tonight, there's a community-wide memorial service going on in New York City tonight. Is it important for someone to go? Is is it something that they will gain from in terms of their own recovery or their own adjustment to this situation if they would attend a service like this? Well, look, we we have the pasuk in Yirmiyahu, Or Hagever Hashem which looks at first like a redundancy. We're saying in two different ways that blessed is the person who exercises bitachon. And some of the Mephorshim Rishonim point out that there is that bitachon in the moment of fear before getting the horrible news, and we're all very good at that. But we also need to be just as good at affirming and asserting our bitachon when we get the bad news. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, it is a very important psychological and spiritual step to gather in the aftermath of tragic news and to reaffirm uh, our perspective of who we are and who we turn to based Zora. So in that sense, this is a, a national tradition for thousands of years. We get together and we mourn publicly. Um, I think beyond the obvious religious and spiritual healing that can come of that, uh, solidarity is important seeing a collective group um, of other children, of other adults, um, is normalizing. It validates that what we're going through is exactly the right thing to be going through in our upheaval, in our frustration, in our hurt and our pain. Uh, what I caution, and, and all of us in Project High, when we're, we're speaking with Manahalim or Rabbanim about putting together an Asifa like this, we do caution them really not to go into the blaming, to giving a cause-and-effect explanation for why this tragedy happened. Uh, very little healthy will come out of a child or a teenager or even an adult leaving such an asifa feeling that it was my fault Understood. or I should have done something different or this was brought about because of something, some hate that I did. So we really do caution speakers from leaving the idea that this happened to those people because something they did wrong or because of something we did wrong. And guilt at this point in time is really not part of the healing. Point well taken. Rabbi David Fox, uh, Project Chayet, Chai Lifeline. If principals, or maybe this time of year I should say, if head counselors and directors uh, want to get in touch with you and uh, your project at Chai Lifeline, uh, especially in light of the uh, current circumstances. How do they do that? Well, we have an ongoing crisis line, which anyone can call, and um, we staff it with trained professionals who work in the area of crisis intervention and in dealing with trauma. And the central number is 855, the number 3, and then the word crisis, C-R-I-S-I-S, so 8553 crisis. Um, we also do have access through uh, email. Um, let me give you a website, which is crisis 
at highlifeline, that's one word, C-H-A-I-L-I-F-E-L-I-N-E, crisis at highlifeline.org, or, or as the director of Project High, let me go ahead and give uh, your listeners my own uh, email, and I will be available to field questions, to offer guidance and support, as will uh, my very capable associate directors. And I can be reached at dfox, Diaz and David, dfox, at highlifeline.org. All right, Dr. David Fox, I thank you, and uh, we should... Uh... We should speak under better circumstances. Thanks for joining us this morning. Amen. We should hear good things. Amen. Five minutes before 8 o'clock. It's JM in the AM. A couple of notes. First of all, the um, Jewish Community Relations Council and the UJA Federation of New York and the New York Board of Rabbis has, in fact, established a community-wide memorial service for Naftali Gilad and Dayal. Starts to, excuse me, starts tonight at 7 p.m., at the Jewish Center on West 86th Street between Columbus and Amsterdam Avenues in New York City. Speakers will include the Consul General of Israel, Congressman Jerry Nadler, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney. It's co-sponsored by the JCRC, the UJ Federation, the New York Board of Rabbis, the Council of Young Jewish Presidents, and there are other co-sponsors that are being added as we speak. Information, jcrcny.org, jcrcny.org for information. Programming note regarding our uh, our stream at jmandtheam.org. We are preempting our regular programming. Uh, OU Jewish Reaction Show, my conversation um, arranged by Koren Publishers with Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz, which was recorded last week. And we did discuss... The um, the fact that uh, his students from Akar Chaim were being held by the enemy, or at least that is what we thought at the time. Uh, but that conversation, uh, which we were supposed to air today, will air uh, most likely next week. We'll preempt our regular programming for a Tuesday. There'll be no live lunch today. We will continue with appropriate music as the Jewish world grieves and as the funerals are about to take place in the city of Modi in Israel. So we will continue that uh, throughout the day. Our next um, uh, hard program stop, or um, I should say programming pickup, would be um, uh, tonight at 7.30, Rabbi Yigal Siegel, homeward bound with our friends from Nefesh Benefesh. And tonight he actually speaks with the director, the founding director of um, Nefesh Benefesh, Rabbi Yoshua Fass, or by Josh Fass. That's tonight, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Homeward Bound, right here at jmnam.org. So make sure to be tuned in for that. Otherwise, our original programming will uh, be preempted, and we will continue with appropriate music on our stream all day long at jmandtheam.org. We suggest you stay tuned in. Mayor Weingarten will join us in the 8 o'clock hour. No one from our group uh, follows the news in Israel the way he does, and uh, we will speak with him coming up. Funerals scheduled for 5.30, leaving from the three different homes and towns of Ayal, Gilad, and Naftali, convening together in Modi'in, being buried side by side. The symbolism, the uh, the unity that is being expressed in the way that they are being laid to rest is symbolic of the unity of the Jewish world who have come together over the last two weeks in ways that nobody ever expected, 
certainly that the enemy did not expect. And um, this unity should not be minimized, cannot be overstated. Rabbinic leaders are across the board, community leaders of all different backgrounds have offered condolences and retrospectives on the three victims of this triple murder. And they were just as strong during the last two and a half weeks in gathering people together, encouraging tefillah, encouraging prayer, encouraging Tehillim, encouraging petitions, encouraging demonstrations and rallies. Kalakavod to everybody who played a role in getting us to this point where we can point out just how unified the Jewish people are during and in the aftermath of this tragedy. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world on the web, jmandtheam.org.
Jam in the AM at 8 minutes after 8 o'clock. Uh, nobody follows the news in our circles uh, from Israel the way Mayor Weingarten does. He joins us live via telephone. Mayor, good morning to you. Yeah, sad morning. That's for sure. Anything at the top of the hour of uh, of note that uh, you could tell us uh, regarding what the reporting in Israel? Um, all the reporting, all the stations in Israel, and I'm watching... Uh, one, uh, dying right now on one and Arutzeser on the other, and they're all showing the funerals. Everybody's, uh, this has been wall-to-wall coverage since yesterday when they found the bodies. And, uh, you know, the, the, the thought of the strength of these families is beyond, to me, beyond comprehension. And I have been so inspired by them throughout this situation and now even now their decision to bury the three boys together in Modi'in to have one official funeral together I mean they're having right now as we are talking they each uh, yeshuv is having a separate funeral in the yeshuv and then uh, in another um, two hours or so they're all going to uh, go together to Modi'in and bury the three boys together and have one uh, uh, official funeral. Um, it, it's just, it, it's inspiring. What, what else can I say? That they've chosen to do it this way. That that the country should be united not only in the prayers and the hopes, but also in the death and in the and and in the in the kavura in in their burial, it is just unbelievable. So these three funerals or services are taking place in three different locations or three towns where they right live now, yes. as we speak, and they'll be together in the five o'clock hour in Israel in Modi'in, and they'll be laid to rest side by side. Um, actually, it's six o'clock. Yes, unbelievable. At six o'clock Israel time, eleven o'clock our time. There will be one official funeral, and they'll be laid to rest side by side. Yes. The unity, uh, the strength of the families is obviously a point well taken, but the unity that has been displayed around the world from those, as we say, right to left and every type of uh, background you can imagine over the last two and a half weeks is really in many ways being symbolized by this togetherness, if you will, that's being displayed today, obviously in very difficult circumstances. But it is amazing how the unity during a time of hope over the last two weeks reached an unbelievable level, and now, of course, in the aftermath of the tragedy, you know, as we know from personal, or I should say from prior experience, it's going to reach uh, a quite a high level as well, that's for yeah. sure. And that's one of the things that the families kept repeating, whether directly or through their friends that were speaking on their behalf, was that one of the things that gave them, the families, the strength was seeing the unity, seeing the, the, the both within the country and throughout the world, how everyone was united, and, you know, they found the bodies yesterday, but the day before, the night before they found the bodies, was this massive rally in Tel Aviv, one of the largest rallies, you know, that, that, that Tel Aviv has seen. And um, everyone was there, everyone. They did say that it was a majority of Kipot, but they, you had from all walks of Israeli life pouring out in in. By the way, in, in unbelievable heat, you have to keep that in mind. There's a huge heat wave going on in Israel, and yet you had this outpouring. And there was a moment, there were a few moments at that rally, but one of the moments was when 
all the different um, youth organizations, left to right, from Shomer Hatzair and Sofim and Bnei Akiva and Ezra, they all got up together. It was just uh, really, you know, it's a shame that this is what it takes to make us united, but it seems that that's what always happens. Unbelievable. Mayor Weingarten is with us. Funerals at 6 p.m. Israel time, all in Modi Inn, as we've been uh, mentioning, as Ayal Gilad and uh, Naftali will be laid to rest side by side. Um, what do you think when you heard that uh, there are people who went and started to establish new Jewish communities as soon as they heard the news of the triple murder? Yeah. Well, you know, that, that's something that they always say in Israel. That's the answer. That, that, that's the best Zionist answer that there is, right? If they kill somebody, then we're going to make a yeshuv there. Uh, and and uh, it, it has two, two aspects to it. One is it says this is what we do. You know, you kill people, we bring new yeshuvim, new settlements to life. You know, we, we, we bring life, you bring death. You know, and, and unfortunately, we live in, in a... Israel is surrounded by culture of death. You know, countries that really, and we see it now in the rest of the area there. Look what's going on in Syria and Iraq. And it's just, it's, it's unbelievable that the number of people that are being killed. And nobody really seems to care. Hmm. And here are three boys, three boys. And, and the whole Jewish world has come together around them and cares. We care about everybody. And so, you know, people say, we have to have an answer, and that's the answer. Our answer is to build the Yeshuv. Now, what's going to happen eventually, the government has to make a decision as to how they want to respond. And there's a big controversy in Israel, and that's the other aspect of it on the news is this debate. Okay, what is the response? What do we do? You know, um, They blew up the house of uh, one of the families in uh, Hebron that's involved. But what's going to be the answer? I mean, obviously, they want to undo the infrastructure of the Hamas, and they did a lot of that. But now what? You know, what can the government do? People want strength, and um, that's a good question. Oh, it certainly is. Uh, not that you have any inside information, but you'd have to assume that Israel will find these kidnappers, right? Yeah, they they seem confident that they will eventually find them. They feel confident that they're still in Israel, and in fact, that one of the reports this morning is that they believe they're still in Hebron. Hmm. And, and the bodies were found not far from Hebron, in Chalchul, which is, uh, people who know the area, it's not far from Hebron. It's very, very interesting how they found the bodies. You know, at the end, there was a group from Kfar Etzion. There's a field school, a Beit Sefer Sadeh in Kfar Etzion. And they have people that are constantly um, traveling, you know, hiking and, and learning the land and showing other people and guiding and so forth. And they asked the army to allow them to join and help in the searches because they really know the terrain. And what gave it away is that as they were walking, they said, this doesn't belong here. There was like a tarp and some stones, and they said, this is not what is usually here. Let's go look there. Huh. Amazing. And that's how it was discovered. And that's how they, well, and, and a, that's how specifically that ditch was discovered. The area in general they had found a few days before um, a pair of glasses 
a broken pair of glasses, and uh, the police investigated, and it was um, it was a Yalgifrach's uh, glasses. They had confirmed that, so they knew that they were in the right area. And uh, not, not to make too much of this, because hindsight's always twenty twenty. I know, but uh, Israeli officials did, in fact, discipline those who were uh, uh, involved in the actual phone call that one of the boys had made from the car, right? Yeah, um, and it, it, they they believe it's hard, hard to say. Obviously, we don't know, but the the working assumption now is that. As a result of that call, which, by the way, was made by Eyal Yifrach, the older one, the 19-year-old, he's the one who made the call, we now know. Um, as a result of the call, the, the terrorists, the murderers, got scared because they figured, uh-oh, now they're going to be after us. You know, in a few minutes, the army is going to be on our tail. Right. We better, you know, just scuttle the whole thing. And so they killed them. And very quickly just got rid of the bodies because it wasn't so well planned out and how they got rid of the bodies and, and they buried them. And it was not as um, precise as we were thinking you know, all this time. Oh, they must have had this planned out so well. Their whole plan went awry once he called the police. So within minutes of their abduction, they were dead. It is believed, probably and, within an hour. And, I, and ironically, I don't know if that's the right word, we would not have had this unified effort if we did not know their whereabouts for all the, if we would have known their whereabouts, uh, right, at that right. point. And somebody made a very interesting point yesterday. I believe it was Emily Amoussi, um, who's a very close, who's a journalist, but a very close friend of the Shars, Shares. Um, you know, people said, you know, we daven, we daven, we daven, and what, what good is our davening? And obviously, there's so many theological answers to that, and leave it to the Rabbonim. To, to answer that, but um, she said, you know, we dive and then we dive and then we dive, and who knows? Who knows if it would have taken two, three years to find the bodies? That's right. And it took only less than three weeks to find the bodies, and families at least have closure. You know, there are many, many cases of kidnapping, in most kidnappings, by the way, in Israel, unlike Gilad Shalit, most kidnappings in Israel, almost all of them, end up with the person being killed. Not a swap deal. Only, I mean, the most famous one is Gilad Shalit, but that's the only one. Nachshon Waxman was one also. Other than that, there's so many cases that we don't hear of where someone, a soldier disappears, and it takes years to find him, to find the body. And here it took less than three weeks, and maybe all our tefillot and all our unity as, as we came together was helpful in... in in minimizing some of the pain. The number of people, and I'm talking about, you know, regular folks out there that are that are writing and expressing and uh, declaring their anger, their frustration, their hopes, their, their you know, sadness is simply unbelievable. I know in this era of social networking, it makes it a lot easier to hear from a lot of people on a subject, but uh, it, it seems like... Um, it seems like our inboxes and our uh, timelines are just inundated with feelings uh, from so many different people that they are expressing at this time. It's obvious, and I know that I'm overstating the obvious in this case, that this episode has touched the hearts of everybody in the Jewish world in an unprecedented fashion. I don't remember, and we've been through, there have been a lot of episodes, and unfortunately a lot of 
suicide bombings and bus bombings and wars and uh, you know and, and 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 many episodes that took many weeks and months in recent Jewish history. But for some reason, there was something about this one that I feel enjoyed a unity of unprecedented levels. Yeah, there's no question about it. I think everybody feels this is my kid. These are my children, and that's the way people felt. These are our boys, and, and be, because they could be anybody's boys, because everybody, you know, as much as they talked about, they were in 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 Kvaratzion and Gushetzion, and they were hitchhiking and and so forth. But at the end of the day, the the terrorists don't differentiate between a kid that's standing at a bus stop in Kvaratzion and, and a kid that's standing at a bus stop in Yerushalayim and a kid that's standing at a bus stop in Tel Aviv and a kid that's standing at a bus stop in New York. They want to kill us all. They want to get us all. And these are, are all uh, these are our children. And I think that's one of the things that spoke and speaks to every single one of us. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Rabbi Avinair um, wrote uh, um, briefly in... Uh, trying to find it now in Ynet, and, and, you know, he said, terror can't undo the state of Israel. Unlike in, in, in all of Jewish history, we, we, we were threatened with extermination. Thank God, Vahisha Amda, right, that God saved us. But terrorists can't, they can kill one person, they can kill three people, they can't kill us as a nation. They can only psychologically try and damage us, and our war is, our, the way we, we win that war is to strengthen ourselves psychologically, to, to have more bitachon, to, to believe in, what, in our way, and, and to work harder on ourselves, and that's our weapon. No question about it. Um, 6 p.m. Eyal in Israel. 6 p.m. Israel time. Eyal, Gilad, and Naftali will be laid to rest side by side. Um, it's a day of agony and grief for the collective Jewish heart. All of us feel it, and um, we pray that this unity will carry over into our regular days and not just be a feeling that we're able to uh, to project and... Um, and to have during days like this. Mayor Weingarten, I thank you, and uh, we should share good news and celebrate wonderful occasions together. Amen, amen. Thank you very much. 23 minutes after 8 o'clock, it's JM in the AM. Our programming note is very simple. We're preempting our entire network day to keep appropriate music for the grief and the agony uh, that is being felt, um, to keep that feeling going all through the day. We'll reschedule our conversations and uh, and interviews and special programming that were scheduled for today. Uh, that will go throughout the entire day. Uh, our first original program today will be uh, Homeward Bound. Yigal Siegel tonight speaks to Rabbi Josh Fass, co-founder of Nefesh Benefesh. Rabbi Fass is his guest at 7.30 Eastern Time tonight on Homeward Bound. Also, I was asked, because today is the yard side of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, I was asked to play my uh, father's Hesped for the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which uh, we normally play on the 3rd of Av, because that's the day it was delivered on the Shloshim. But this year we were actually considering, because it's the 20th yard site, to do it today. Uh, because of these circumstances, uh, we in fact will do it, uh, please God, on the 3rd of Av, uh, on the day it was first uh, delivered 20 years ago on the Shloshim of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. 
and um, go with that original plan in light of the circumstances. 25 minutes after 8 o'clock, this is JM in the AM.
خم داد ابدای ایرت شهی شمش بیام ایرت شلی ادمتای To the best soldiers in the world.
J.M. and the A.M. keeping the Israeli soldiers, the IDF, in our minds as they continue to do what is necessary in the Judean hills and beyond. And the Israeli Air Force uh, continues to do what's necessary in the area of the Gaza Strip and the southern part of Israel. J.M. and the A.M., the funerals of Eyal Gilad and uh, Naftali are taking place as we speak. The uh, services are going on simultaneously in their three towns, and they will be together at the 6 p.m. Israel time to be buried together in the city of Modi in Israel. The unity that the Jewish world has collectively felt and has exhibited over the last two and a half weeks will symbolically be acknowledged by the families of these three boys with that incredible decision to have them buried side by side together in Modi in Israel. I want to thank Mayor Weingarten, who spent part of this hour with us, talking about the latest from Israel. I want to thank Danny Danone, who was actually on his way to Talmon to one of the funerals as he spoke to us in the 7 o'clock hour, Deputy Defense Minister of Israel, who's really been with us throughout this entire episode, and I thank him. I want to thank her by David Fox of High Lifeline. We discussed earlier the the uh, different uh, approaches depending on how your kids and family members are handling this whole thing. Kudos to the uh, directors and head counselors of the different summer camps, the boys' camps, the girls' camps, the mixed camps. Everybody out there has, um, in some way it seems, from what we've heard, acknowledged what has happened and has tried at this very beginning of the camping season, when sometimes these things prove to be even more difficult to deal with, uh, have tried to, in as sensitive a way as possible, to um, deal with this episode with the campers. And um, your efforts are recognized and appreciated. J.M. in the end with a reminder that the Jewish Center later tonight, at the Jewish Center later tonight is the... uh, Memorial service, which will be attended by members of the United States House of Representatives, by um, the Consul General of Israel, happens at the Jewish Center on West 86th Street. The doors will open at 7 p.m. tonight. The event is uh, sponsored by the JCRC, New York Board of Rabbis, UJA Federation. Everyone is encouraged to be there, of course, and to remember the boys the community-wide memorial, 131 West 86th Street. Consul General, Congressman Nadler, Congressman Maloney. Uh, co-sponsors include the JCRC, UJA Federation, the New York Board of Rabbis, and the Council of Young Jewish Presidents. It's all tonight at the Jewish Center in Manhattan. We've been asked to thank our listeners who were there yesterday in the aftermath of this emotional news. About 500 people came out on a couple of hours' notice for an emotional, serious, focused memorial for the three teens, Ayal, Gilad, and Naftali, yesterday afternoon at the Israeli consulate. The group then marched to the Isaiah Wall across from the United Nations. I will add a big thank you to this audience 
I was at a couple of rallies over the last couple of weeks with my family. And many of our listeners came out. And I thank you. A lot of people who tune into this program are involved and want to be involved and want to be informed when it comes to uh, rallies, demonstrations, petitions, etc. So I say thank you to all of you for coming out and being part of it. Let's hope next time it's with a lot better results, with a lot more hope. There is a petition online which I will share on the Facebook update page, Nahum Siegel Network, that specifically calls now for a stop of all funding to the Palestinian Authority. This is something we were calling for even before the boys were found, their bodies were found. Um, just when it was obvious that this, that this was a kidnapping that was linked to Hamas, which of course is now part of the PA. But now, uh, in light of uh, what has happened, we even more strongly want to recommend that people sign the petition and make our voices heard to stop all funding to the PA. It's up there now. If you go to the Nahum Siegel Network Facebook update page, it's simply entitled Nahum Siegel Network, you will see the um, link to the petition, and we ask everybody to participate, and hopefully it will uh, be viewed by the White House and taken seriously. Let us hope. JM and the AM with the Maccabees on a Tuesday morning broadcast.
Figured we should close with the uh, the words that have essentially become the anthem of the last two and a half weeks. Achenu kol beit Yisrael. J.M. and the A.M. with a reminder, we've preempted all of our network programming today as the funerals are taking place in Israel. Appropriate music will be on the stream all day long at jmtheam.org. Our regular programming with our OU Jewish Reaction Show and my conversation with Harav Adin Steinsaltz which I know many people are anticipating. We'll do that next week. Live lunch will not be on today. We'll continue with the music throughout the day. Our first original program will start at 7.30 Eastern Time tonight. Homeward Bound, hosted by Egal Siegel, will feature a conversation with our Yoshua Fast, the co-founder of Nefesh Benefesh.
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockin' County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Funerals of Ayal Gilad and Naftali are taking place as we speak. As we said, we'll preempt our stream today with appropriate music. For a day like today, as the collective Jewish world continues to be in agony and in mourning. Tomorrow morning, we're back starting at 6 a.m. Don't forget that tonight at 7.30 p.m., Yigal Siegel on Homeward Bound speaks with the Yeshua Fast, the founder of Nefesh Benefesh. Have a, a peaceful Tuesday. Till tomorrow, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.